Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How's it going, my friends? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business, presented to you exclusively by Podcast Heat and AdFreeShows.com. I, of course, am John Alba, and I'm joined every single week here by the man of the hour on Strictly Business, Mr. Eric Bischoff. And Eric, we have two very special guests with us. Our first episode with two guests, we've got Mike Johnson and Dave Shear from PW Insider. This is going to be one heck of a conversation. Gentlemen, how's everyone doing today? Everyone doing all right here as we enter the early winter months and winter days here so far so good i'm doing great never had a bad day eric the weather uh a little stormy out there by uh here yeah it's supposed to be a blizzard it's just now rolling in started a couple hours ago had to run into town and stock up grab the mail you know all that stuff you do when you live out in the country nothing comes to your house anymore so yeah we uh all caught up but we're gonna set this blizzard out. i'm going to vegas on wednesday so that'll be nice you'll get out of this mess it's cool walk there, around, some decent it's weather. Cold. It's cold. It's cold? Today. Yes. Only 49 for a high today. Oh, screw yeah. it. I'm not going. No, <laughs> no, no, you never don't go. I spend half my year there. I love it. Well, Mike and Dave, we are so excited to have you here on Strictly Business. And I know this is one that Eric has been really looking forward to. He's spoken very highly of the two of you guys over the years, uh, both ingrained in PW Insider, one of the true institutions of pro wrestling journalism. Eric, uh, what was the idea by bringing Mike and Dave onto our program here this week? Well, I, you know, part of it is like self-cleansing because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I talk so much, you know, when I get hot about, you know, things that I see being reported by certain people, uh, you know, I make these big statements about dirt sheets and this and that. And I don't delineate between news sites that I, you know, I find credible and I enjoy checking in on and, and PW Insider is one of them. Um, and the people who I feel are doing a disservice, not only to the people that are spending money with them, that's their choice, but really doing a disservice to the industry in general, uh, while they claim to be such a proponent of it. So um, I really wanted to do two things. One is come clean and talk about the things I do like about some of the coverage and the, the effort that goes into it. But I really want to learn about the business of the wrestling news business. And especially, you know, from my perspective, I've been following it, not because I wanted to, more because I had to, (laughs) um, you know, for the last 30 years. And I've had my own contentious relationship with it. But I want to talk about the business of it and how it's changed and how it's become more challenging, less challenging, you know, the scope of it growth of it, all that kind of stuff. And I couldn't think of two guys better than, than Mike and Dave to join us here. I mean, PW Insider has been around since what, Dave, uh, forever? What? 2004 for us. Uh, and I started with your old friend, Bob Ryder at onewrestling.com in 1997. That's many right. Moons ago. Yep. Many moons ago. Bob Ryder. You know, Bob doesn't get enough credit in, some, no, in, in many respects. You know, Bob was one of those guys, Bob Ryder, uh, obviously passed away a couple of years ago. I uh, had some really challenging times with cancer and just fought it like a true warrior 
you know, and warrior isn't something you would normally think of when you think of a guy like Bob, cause he was such a quiet behind the scenes, non-assuming person, but he fought and he fought and he had, and he kept up a really positive, brave attitude through it all, not just a front, but an attitude. So hats off to him. But Bob was also kind of on the cutting edge of a lot of things, you know, we, prodigy. We did a lot of that together. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We did a lot I mean, of that. Bob, Bob was. talk about that. All right, so Bob was, Bob and I met through Prodigy. Um, basically, I had kind of fallen, I don't want to say out of love with wrestling, because to me, I always say it's the sickness. You have the sickness if you love this business. You know, it's something you can't explain to someone, but if you love it, you love it. And it's kind of like, it might be like a, like a woman that you have a relationship with. Sometimes you didn't like her, but in the end, you always loved her. That's kind of how wrestling was for me. Uh, and late not early nineties, rather somewhere in that area. It was kind of, you know, I was kind of just following it to follow it. And then ECW came along. Now in between that time, I was on prodigy with Bob. Bob wanted me there posting because, um, you know, he thought I brought quality to the boards and, you know, Bob was a warrior and a bulldog for sure, without a doubt. And he was, he was really sharp on the upcoming trends. He, he saw the online trend before I ever did for sure. Um, so he was like, yeah, come on prodigy, do this and stuff. Then ECW came along. Um, I started going to ECW, writing about the shows, telling him about it. And then he started flying into the shows to see him doing the prodigy chats. Like he did with you and other people. Um, and he started doing the chats on the shows. So I guess I'm going to say it was, I was writing for a couple of newsletters just for fun because I would, I would post reports about ECW on the old rec sport pro wrestling Usenet group, which most people listen is like, what language are you speaking? But it was pre-internet, basically. Um, and Bob and I met. And what, what happened was the guy I was writing newsletter for decided he didn't want to do it anymore. So I was like, I'll pick up the mantle and I'll start my own newsletter, which I was going to do anyway, because I was kind of at the point where by going to ECW and seeing things firsthand, getting to know a lot of the people that work there and knowing the, the real story behind things, uh, there was one publication in, in particular that I would witness news. I would see things. And a lot of it I saw with Bob. And we would report it on in my newsletter on Prodigy. And then an issue of a newsletter would come out the next week with a totally different story. So I said to myself. And we're talking about Dave Meltzer specifically here. We don't, we don't, we don't pull punches on this show. Yeah, and I don't either. I've said, Michael, tell you, I've said it many times. It's, you know, I owe where I am now to Dave doing what Dave did. Because I said to myself, if if I know this is wrong and I know that's wrong, then how can I trust all this other stuff that could be wrong? And as once I got in the business, I quickly realized what was happening. It's, it's people in the business, as you know, Eric, for sure, they want to get their narrative out there. So they give you a call, they talk to you, they tell you a story. And what Mike and I both have learned is there's like, there's three kinds of people. There's, there's people that if they give you a story, yeah, we're going to double check it for sure, but we know it's right, but we're still going to double check it. There are people, they give you a story, you know for sure, maybe 10% of it's right, and the other 90% is their agenda and what they're trying to accomplish. And then there's people in the middle who give you bits and pieces, and then you go to your other sources, you, you flesh out as best you can the real story, because I believe it was you that actually said this before, we're not in the locker room, you know, when something happens, right? When, when Eric Bischoff, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall had a meeting, three people were there. So... You never can definitively say, well, this is what happened in that meeting, unless you tell me, you know, Kevin tells me or if Scott was still here, he told me. So the one thing I learned really quick was it was the tone more than anything, the definitive, this is the story. Mm. When you can't ever get on the record comments, you really can't get the, this is the story. You could say sources have told us as best we can tell, this is the story. And that, that's kind of what I decided when I started the Larry, you know, it's, it's, I just said, you know, we've got to try to do things the right way. And it took off. I mean, the, the, the one thing I'm most proud of is in this business, I have never been in the red. The first issue I remember, well, we had 56 paid subscribers, but we, we were in the black from the beginning. Um, and I, I just, you know, I, I said to myself, I think what we need to do is try to do, to treat this like someone at the New York times or wherever would treat this, you know, a real USA today, you know, try to get the facts and publish them. And if we're going to go off into opinion land, then, Oh, Brian Hildebrand, man, what a great guy. 
Oh, yeah. Tim Whitehead on the uh, Tim Whitehead. Tim Whitehead, another, another great, great guy. guy, another truly great guy. Um, so I just said, you know, if we're going to go into the world of opinion, we're going to separate, you know, the wheat from the chaff, and it's going to be this is news, this is our opinion. So that was basically my mindset, um, and and luckily, you know, the newsletter started doing well when the internet took off, and. You know, again, Bob Ryder, my buddy, um, you know, he comes, he came to me in 1997 and we were doing the old 900 lines then too. And mm-hmm. he said, I have an idea. And he said, let's, let's do a, a wrestling website. Uh, you know, you, you can contribute and Georgia Ann Macropolis, rest her soul, mm-hmm. uh, could, and, and we'll bring the content there. And Bob's idea initially was to make it behind a paywall and the world wasn't ready for that yet. And luckily it was just when the internet boom started and ad money was ridiculous. So I was like, Bob, we got to make this stuff free because we'll make way more in in advertising money than we ever would getting people to sign up, at least at that point. So that's what we did. And one thing led to another. And here we are. Awesome. Now, I'm going to bounce back and forth between both you uh, and Mike, because I've dealt with both of you over the years on, on different topics or different phone calls. But Mike, how how much harder is it today? Like if you want to get confirmation of a story how tough is it get is it to get people to talk today compared to five or ten years ago or 15 years ago what i've learned is everybody's a little bit more accessible now because they've got their facebook or they've got their twitter dms and you know or and you can text i find it's a lot easier to reach out to people now than it was 10 years ago because 10 years ago you had to try and get somebody on their cell phone and hope that they were in a position where they could talk and that wasn't always the case, especially if they were backstage at a show. Now it's a lot easier to get the, the, to get the, the, the information back and forth or to have a dialogue. Uh, But you know, the one thing that I, I think has changed is with the advent of social media, especially with Twitter, there are people who don't need to go to us to get their narrative out anymore they'll they'll spread it themselves or they'll have someone wink wink nudge nudge spread it on maybe under another name and suddenly you know the first thing you see on twitter people assume this story must be true which is not always the case and it just blows up um i think that's kind of become sort of like the like uh, like almost like um parallel to what we do where we report now others don't always feel like oh well i need to go i need to go to someone if i want to get my side of the story out or i don't need to respond to them if they reach out I can circumvent them by going out and putting stuff out on my own social media, even if what they're putting on a social media is not 100% accurate or true. It's just their narrative. There's going to be an audience that goes, Oh, that must be the story because wrestler X said it. And they would never lie to me because I'm their fan, which is not always the case. (laughs) Mike, you're you're somebody that has established himself as one of the predominant scoopsters in pro wrestling. He's the best. He's the reason. Let me interject. He's the best. He's the reason I stopped chasing news because you know I used to do what he does. Now I run the business end pretty much exclusively. And and he'll say to me, you know, did you hear this or that? And then you know I'll reach out to people. But this is a true story. It got to the point where I'd get a good story and I'd be going to put it on the site. He'd have it up an hour earlier. I'm like, why am I even bothering anymore? Just let I'll just let him. He's kicking my ass, literally. So um yeah, I can't nothing but the best about Mikey. He is the best. So I want to follow up more than on, on your process because I'm someone who has broken hundreds of stories in my career, not just pro wrestling, but across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, college sports, whatever it may be. And I know that I have a process that I go through in order to verify something before I go about publishing it because your reputation is on the line once something goes out there. Every major story is like, I always say it's like jumping off a cliff and, you know, it's like you're base jumping and are you going to land or are you going to crash? And that's every major story you ever break every week, every time. So I would love to know what is your process in deciding I'm comfortable putting something out because so many fans lack context on what goes into a report. And they think you can just magically say, Oh, I, I heard this is happening. And, and it's, there's so much more that goes into that. Let, let me jump in real quick. Go ahead. Because there's only one thing I, well, two things I told Mike Johnson when he, he basically took the, what's the, the Jedi thing you do. The, the, whenever Luke Skywalker did, I don't know. Mike likes Star Wars. When I whatever. took the role of Jedi master. Yes. That <laughs> I said two things. Don't get me sued. Number one, number two, if you're wrong, own it and admit it right away. Because what I learned when I was him was I hate being wrong. 
Cool. I hate retracting something, but you have to do it. If you're wrong, you don't say like plans changed. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> well like, even if plans change, change, you're still wrong. Yeah. yeah, you're still wrong. You just have to say, well, that's what we were told at the time. Right. You know, we got it wrong. And and when you do that, I think Mike will tell you this, you work your ass off to not be wrong. Cause it's he hates to say he's wrong as much as I do. Oh, it's it's the only thing I the only thing I hate more than having to say I'm wrong is having to do something twice when I'm already feel like I'm done with it. And then it's like, oh, I got to do something over again. It drives me nuts. I don't think there's ever a set process for any story. Like just like or like a couple like last week, I reported Sasha Banks is going over to the Tokyo Dome. New Japan's bringing her in. The process for that was completely different than the process earlier today where I reported WWE and New Japan are on the same page and Carl Anderson's going to go work the Tokyo Dome on January 4th. Two, two stories, both about New Japan, both about the Tokyo Dome, two completely different processes. You know, sometimes you hear something where someone passes it along and go, hey, I heard this. And then you're like, oh, really? And you might spend a couple hours chasing it, and it turns out to be just complete waste of your time, which is always frustrating, but that's part of the process. Or you'll hear something, and someone will come to you and say, uh, I don't think that's true, but let me check. And then they'll come back to you, and it's someone from a completely different circle. And they'll say, I'm not sure, but I think this is true because A, B, and C. And that might give you a little a little like Hansel and Gretel reference, another piece of the bird seed to kind of follow the trail. And you know, it, I think it just – what I've learned is – if you build up relationships with people and you network with people and you're honest with them and you fiercely protect who they are and never reveal the sources, like Dave doesn't know who my sources are and I don't know who his sources are. And that's the best way <laughs> for us to protect each other and the site and anyone. And like, I'll have people who will get mad at me about a story and they'll be like, you got to tell me who told you that. And I'm like, I can't because then if you ever tell me anything, you can't trust me. Right. To know that you're that I'm going to protect you, and then you're going to you're you're going to be you're going to get the, what I call the wrestling paranoia, which is uh, I I think Johnson told somebody this, and now he might be talking to my boss, or he might be talking to the booker, or he might be talking to the person I have issues with backstage. There are times where I'll talk to people who have who just hate each other and have two completely different versions of the same story. And the other side doesn't know they're talking to me. And I have to try and figure out a way to balance it out based on those two differing versions. There's never an easy process. My, my hope is that with everything, I always have at least two people yep. that tell me basically the same thing yep. that doesn't always work out. Sometimes you get two people and they have completely differing versions and they just, they're at loggerheads with each other. And then you got to try and reach out to other people because, you know, like Dave said, if Wrestler X comes to me and says, Eric Bischoff had a big backstage fight with John Alba and he got his ass kicked, that could be true. It could not be true. But why are you coming to me to make sure that I know Eric got his ass kicked? Which so there's got to be a reason you're coming to me other than, oh, I want to tell you the latest gossip. Because I think the current generation of talents, they're not like the guys in the 80s and the 90s where they're calling people looking for something to vent about. And the only people they can trust are people in the wrestling bubble. I think the younger talents today are very different because they grew up different. They were on social media. They, I think they're more media trained. And you have to figure out why someone's telling you something as much as what are the facts. Because the last thing you want to do is report something that's, tinge to somebody's version and then when the facts come out the you know the the jenga blocks just fall apart like i know when the when the, the cm punk stuff cm punk stuff happened with the with the elite there were all these different versions and i'm going i didn't hear any of this and if i'm not hearing it why is this stuff blowing up and the reality is there were two very angry sides that were trying to basically uh, one up the other in some sort of passive aggressive way, or maybe even in, a, in an aggressive way. And the worst thing you can do is suddenly find yourself leaning on one side, because then if you find more information, then you've got to admit you were wrong, and then and then recalibrate not, the story. Or not, as the case may be, where some people are concerned, not admit you're wrong. Just well, just say, "See, I was right all along when you weren't." And that, yeah, and well, that, your mileage may vary. <laughs> there's only one. You know, time, I'll tell you a true story. There's only one time I ever wanted to tell somebody my source. And one of the first stories that we broke when PW Insider started in 2004 was that Brock Lesnar was leaving WWF oh. to, to go to the NFL. And I remember he went in the locker room from what a number of people told me and said, when he finds out who the snitch was, I'm going to kill him. So I said to myself, self, if he ever finds me, I'm going to say Mike Johnson was the source. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. and I, remember, I remember that because it was Atlantic City where you lived at the time, full time. And I was in the building because they were running boardwalk halls, like a SmackDown taping. And then I'm, I'm like, I got home and the next day, like you had the story up and I'm like, what is going on? 
And as soon as you reported, it was like everybody started calling and saying, oh, yeah, he said he's going to the NFL. It was crazy. Like, And what I remember about that is going to WrestleMania a couple of months later, WrestleMania 20, because we had, we had launched in January, and this was the first WrestleMania since PW Insider officially launched. And I'm sitting in Madison Square Garden watching the show, covering the show, and Lesnar's wrestling Goldberg, and the crowd turns on Lesnar. And I'm like, this is totally the ripple effect of Dave's reporting. And that was like the first sign of, to me, where WrestleMania was undoubtedly, this is where all the hardcore diehard fans are all going to assemble for the, for the at the same place at the same time. So they know really what's going on. And they've got a, they've got their finger on the pulse of, of the discerning wrestling stories and, and sort of the inside stuff. And I remember like that day sitting in the garden watching and going, Ooh, man, Lesnar's going to kill Dave. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see, Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a -a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word weeks to 87204. That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. You called me from the building. You're like, That's right. Yeah, I was like, in the don't building. let him find you. I'm like, trust me. Mike just said I lived in Atlantic City. I never lived in Atlantic City. I live south of that. But Brock, <laughs> I lived in Atlantic City. Go there and look for me. I was trying to protect you, Dave. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. Take, taking any calls from Minnesota lines for a little while. I gotta you know, and just to, just to uh, share some personal experience with both Dave and Mike, over the years. It's one of the reasons why early on I separated PW Insider from everybody else. It's because both Dave and Mike have at various times over the last decade reached out or more reached out and asked me to comment or verify a story. And I can't tell you which stories they were, to be honest. Um, It's happened probably on three or four different occasions. But the first time it happened, I went, okay, this is different. Jason Powell is another one has called to get me to confirm, deny, comment on stories. That's it. I've never heard from anybody else that's written a story or broke news where I was involved and had called to ask prior to breaking that story. It was, it's really interesting. So you, you two and, and Jason Powell. That's it. Well, Jason, can I ask? So, I mean, yeah, I like Jason. Of, Mike and I have a lot of respect for Jason. He's a good. I, I want to follow up on that though, Eric, though, too, because a lot of times with the journalistic process, you're taught, well, you need to go through PR officials. Do you know if journalists ever made efforts to go through PR channels to speak to you on the record? They never. Number one, they never had to. And you know, it's a it's a close knit community. Everybody knows everybody. I don't know if they did or didn't. I'm sure they have. I guess I do remember from time to time. Not very often, um, PR would come to me and say, hey, do you want to do an interview with this person? Or do you want to comment on this? And mo- most often I didn't when it came in that way, unless I recognized the name. If I didn't recognize the name, I probably wouldn't take the time out of my day to respond to them unless they were, you know, a business, you know, relationship like Adweek or Variety or something along those lines. Uh, but for the most part, I, I think if it happened, it maybe have happened twice in my 30-year career. Because, Mike, I, I, and I know you quick, I, I, I have something to add to. I, I think part of the problem, it, and I, I don't know how to say this the way I want to say it. I think a lot of times some writers get too personal. Um, like with Brock Lesnar, right? Brock Lesnar is leaving to go to the NFL. That's a story. He's like one of their top guys, and he's decided he's walking away from wrestling. Now, if Brock Lesnar... And his wife separated. That's not a story to me. It's like, and I mean, unless Brock can't come to wrestling anymore. And then, then you have to consider, is that a story? We know why he's not coming, but how did we find out? If it was told off the record, we're not going. I mean, but so it just seems like so many people try to get so personal now and in, and over the years. And again, throwing out, this is 
my opinion on something that I'm going to present like it's a fact. And I mean, I, I think a lot of the, the reason we don't get sued and, you know, like Mike said, and he's not wrong is, I mean, Mike will tell you, he'll, he'll break a story and then he'll call me and tell me like five times as much as that's in a story and you can't report everything, you know, but you know, some people just don't have that journalistic credo. And it, I think that's where a lot of the problems start. Let me ask you now, clearly, because like I said, I've been on a receiving end of your, your process or been involved in it. So I, I, I absolutely believe every word you say, because I've experienced it. Have you ever not broken a story or chosen to just put a pin in something because you didn't have enough detail? Somebody in your business breaks it. And then you kind of kick yourself in the ass. I, I can no. tell you, I can, I can tell you I don't one kick story. Myself in the, yeah, you tell the story. Not kicking, not kicking myself in the ass, but I can tell I you don't one kick story. Kick myself for sure. in the ass because I didn't have, you know. And there's stories, like I said earlier, that we know are right. We we know 99.9 percent gun at my head. I got to be right. I'm not going to die if I report this. But we that chance, especially when it's a sensitive nature story, you just I just say to myself, if someone else breaks it first, they broke it first, and. If we would have broken it first, we would have been right, quote, unquote, but we wouldn't have known for sure we were right. So to me, that's the line. The, so you can live one, with yourself. You know, the ones, yeah, yeah. the ones like I always feel like if it's a personal issue, but doesn't have a ripple effect on the business itself, 99.9% .9 of the time, it should be out of the bounds, right? It should like it. it if Eric is ha if Eric Bischoff and John Alba are having a personal issue with their wives or the girlfriends or whoever, it, if it doesn't affect their job, it shouldn't be in. It shouldn't be discussed. It shouldn't be reported. However, if there's a big court case and Eric's got to take six months off of, of work for it because he's got to focus on that, that's a different story because now real life is cascading over into the business end. The one story that I remember someone came to me with, and it was someone I like and someone I trusted, and they they were like listen, I got to tell you about Edge and Matt Hardy and Lita. And they tell me the whole story of what's going on with those three. And they're like, and you should break it. And I was like, I'm not breaking that. That's personal stuff between three people. It has nothing to do with wrestling. And it ended up getting broken somewhere else like three weeks later. And then next thing you know, Edge and Lita are a big act on WWE TV. And honestly, that thing helped propel Edge to the next level. Matt Hardy at the time, not so much, but obviously he rebounded with broken Matt and all that other stuff. And he's got a great legacy too, but I never regretted not breaking that story because to me, it was about the personal life of a married man at the time, a woman that he was involved with and her boyfriend that they, that he was, that she was involved with. And to me, none of it had anything to do with the business of wrestling. Little did I know it was going to cascade over and it became, I was going to say it was going to become story, a, story a massive story, <laughs> but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have felt good about being the right. person responsible for putting out someone's personal garbage like that. You know, it's like, there's, there, there should be a line between when you have your personal life and you're away with your family and you're making your choices and you're with your people and your friends even if you're in the public eye and you live in, a, in, in the fishbowl, like a W like a WWE performer does or a wrestler does or an actor does, they got to, there should be some discerning line between your personal life and your public life. And that line has kind of melted with Twitter and social media, which is why I don't think 95% of movie stars are the draws that they used to be because, you know, before it was like, Oh, you can go see Jim Carrey and he's a big star. I don't need to see Jim Carrey telling me about the, uh, the, the 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 avocados he's cutting in the kitchen every day, which sometimes happens on Twitter with some of these actors as they're trying to make a bond with with their with their fans. And I think for me, I would have been like I would have been like, oh, we got a great story, great, but I wouldn't have felt good about it. And unless there's something like a death or an arrest where we have to report something that's really sad, I don't want to be the cause of someone's strife and sadness and anger. Just to say, oh, got another story on the checklist. I'd rather let that one pass by. And the same thing happens. You know, John brought up the PR process. There are times we've missed out on stories that other people have broken because I've reached out to PR, PR with different companies and said, do you care to comment on this? This is what I'm hearing. 
And unfortunately, all it's, I, at times, what it's done is slowed down the process. So unless I absolutely have to, I, and, and, and unless I absolutely have to to get a c- complete confirm on something, if I know it's true and I've got multiple sources, I will just circumvent and go around the PR process and try to reach out to people privately because I already know that the story is correct. A lot of times PR, and it's not their fault, they're good, hardworking people. Their job is to protect that company. And and if that job is, if their bosses tell them, you've got to slow down that process so it doesn't, it comes out on Friday instead of Monday, that's what they're going to do. And that's what their job is. You can't be mad at them for playing the game and doing what their, what their job is, but your job is to break the news. So you have to do it in a way that, you know, is concise and correct. And if you realize, all right, once, okay, fine, someone else got it. You call someone in PR and suddenly it's on another site. You go, okay, maybe there, there's definitely a pattern here. And you don't do it the third time. And suddenly you're the person breaking the story. You go, okay, I know the, 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 the their plan here is to kind of slow down the process. So even though you want to get an official word, you're probably not going to get it. And what's going to mm-hmm. happen is you're letting someone else get ahead of you in that race, which unfortunately, that's just the reality. There is a race to break the news. But it's also preventing you from your process of doing everything you can do to make sure your story is correct. Because if you're sitting around waiting for someone else to call you, now you're at their beck and call and you're on their timeline when you need to be on the timeline of what's best for the site and what's best for your readers. Like the one thing that I always try to make sure is we try to super serve the readers, especially our lead subscribers. Like they're the lifeblood. They're the people that are keeping us around. I need to do everything that I can do to be proud of what I'm working on and be happy with the, with the content that I'm creating, but also keeping them happy and keeping them engaged because without them, we don't have anything. It, it just, it falls off a cliff. How tough is it now, Dave? Give it now again, flashback 20 years, go back to Bob Ryder, 1997, messing around with prodigy. Now look mm-hmm. where we are. Social media, Twitter, Instagram, all the other things, all the various news sites now that didn't exist back then, you know, the competition's greater. Is it tougher to make money now or is it easier because of the distribution (laughs) of social media? Here's the thing. It's, I guess it's tougher and easier, but it's tougher because right now we're doing a podcast that'll be free. And one of the main things we sell on our website to our subscribers is our our elite show, uh, audio shows. So there's so much for free out there right now that, you know, like we were saying before we went in the air, there's a line where, you know, like uh, Tony Khan's going to try to get people to pay nine 99 uh, a month to watch four ring of honor shows. How many people are there? And then how many people are there at four 99 that would do it, but not at five, six, seven, eight 99. And how many people are there that won't do it at all? Um, it, it, it's harder to make money because there's so many, there's so many people doing what we do. Mike Johnson will break a story and 10 minutes later, it'll be on a hundred wrestling news sites with credit. In most cases, uh, it used to not be the case. People would just steal it, but uh, they got fleshed out, but yeah, it's with credit. And that does send some people our way and they subscribe and stay our way. But there is, it's like, it's like the streaming business right now. There's so much competition. We're lucky to be kind of like the Netflix in it. You know, we've, we've been around since the beginning. So we're able to, you know, we build up goodwill with our subscribers, as Mike said. And we have people that have been with us since the first day we opened the site, January 27th, uh, 2004. And we're lucky because of that. And part of what I do is find other ways to bring money into the site, which I will not talk about here because those people steal enough from us. I'm not telling them how, how we make the donuts too, if you know what I mean. But as Mike will tell you, um, his pay has not suffered. It's, it's only gone in the positive, not in the negative since, since we started this thing. So I have a, uh, my degree is in uh, business management and my, I minored in journalism. And I was, I was born poor. Uh, I was supposed to have money for college, get to, get to high school age. Yeah, there's no money for college. So I worked full time, put myself through college, graduated at 27. And what I learned there was when you're doing the work and you're paying the bill, and luckily I have a great wife who supported me through, uh, through the last two years of me going through college, three years. Um, when, you're, when you're making that commitment with your time and you're making that commitment with your, with your wallet and with your life, you take it a lot more seriously. And that actually prepared me because Michael tell you this, there, there was one point I was working a sales job at Coca-Cola 40 hours a week. I was running one wrestling.com and I love Bob the bits, but as Michael tell you, I did 95% of the work on that site. I was running the ECW wrestling site. I was basically writing every uh, edition of ECW magazine and I was contributing to wow magazine. I, I was doing 
I don't know when I slept, but, and I think about it now, no way I could go back and do that. But the work ethic I learned from growing up with nothing and putting myself through college carried over through that. And I think, you know, luckily I was able to connect with a lot of people. And then I was lucky enough for Mike to come up to me one day and say, you will hire me one day. And I was like, yeah, that sure, is go. true. Yeah, we, said, uh, we, were, we, I was behind him in the concession stand, which no longer stands in the, what's now the 2300 arena. And I knew who his newsletter was. And I, I learned about the sort of inside of wrestling. There was a radio show in New York by a great guy named John Arezzi, uh, who had a, a radio show on WEVD 1050 AM, which is a, at the time a 50,000 watt station. So it was a big station in New York in the early nineties. And that's kind of how I realized like, wait, there's a world beyond and behind the scenes. That was like sort of my first thing. And then, WWF started running Monday Night Raw while I was starting college. So I would leave college and go to Raw every week. And I started meeting these people and meeting the same faces. And that's where I was kind of made friendships. And somebody says, oh, did you ever hear of ECW? What's that? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Here's tapes. So now I'm watching ECW tapes. And that's completely different from everything else at wrestling at that time. WCW, WWF, anything. And then they're like, and Eric, you're probably partially responsible for this. They had a show where beautiful Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson, who I love to death, great wrestlers, great people. Um, they came in and they did a tag match with uh, Bobby teamed with Sabu against Terry Funk and Arn Anderson. And I was like, these are my four favorite wrestlers in the world. I have to be there. So I go for the one night. And then at the end of the night, they announced, oh, Cactus Jack against Sabu for the next show, which was like in 1994. That's mind blowing in terms of like what you could potentially see. All right, I'll come next month. By the end of that second show, I had to go every every month. I was lying to my job. I was doing everything I could to get out of working on Saturdays. And I knew who Dave was because other people pointed him out to me that he was doing the newsletter. I always had a background in writing. I always knew I was going to write. I had no idea what I was going to do. But I was working in the entertainment industry at the time, working as a talent agent's assistant and then working in talent management. And I was going to wrestling just to blow off steam because I was dealing with crazy actors five, six days a week. So I end up behind a concession so you, so stand. Can I just I know, I know. crazy wrestlers instead? This Brilliant. goes completely backwards. I know. Man, it's like, oh, oh. man. My feet are cooking in this fire, so I'm going to throw myself in an oven instead. I know, I know. I, trust me, there's been many times I've wondered why I why the path diverted for me, but that's another story. So I end up behind him in a concession stand, and we start talking, and I go, I'm a good writer. I'm going to write for you. ECW is going to start running New York, and I'm sure, and I'm sure if he was him and I was me back then and the roles were reversed, he was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, buddy. I'm sure 10,000 people have said the same thing to him, but when the show came, I wrote, I wrote an article and I sent it to him, and then he's like, okay. And there were people who were like, why are you letting him write for you? Why? But Dave, to his credit, even when I wasn't making him 10 cents for no reason other than he was Dave, always had my back, always when, when there was a criticism, it was a warranted criticism to help me get better, always protected me when I messed up to make sure that uh, it was corrected before it went to the printed word and always had my back when terrible things happened in my life. It was the for one of the first phone calls were always from him. And when when he left one wrestling to go to PW Insider, I was working for one wrestling, but it wasn't really making much money there. It wasn't like my full time thing. And but at the time I was trying to reconfigure my life because I had been in a car wreck and I had almost died and I had to give up my old job and go through 18 months of physical therapy, all this sad sack shit nobody wants to hear about. But when he called me, he's like, I'm going to leave and I'm going to start my own thing. And my response was, okay, I'm going with you. I never asked for money. I never asked for what's my salary. What's my responsibilities. It, it, it ended up being, he said, all right, when we launch, you're going to get X. And if the subscribers come to us, it'll be more. And it was like exponentially way more than X from the first month. And at that time I said to myself, all right, I always wanted to be a writer. I'm in a position where I've got to reboot my life. I'm going to give myself one year to see if this works. And then if not, I got to go back and figure something else out. And within like three months, I was like, all right, I'm good. It's going to work out. Like we, it just like, we were so lucky. And I really think that that Lesnar story that he broke was the thing where that really sent everybody to us that might not have followed us from one wrestling to PW insider. And that was like the, the golden goose of this was a massive story. Nobody else had it. He had it first and it brought all the attention right to us. And then we were off to the races within three months of PW Insider starting. And, you know, it's some day, listen, some days are great. And you're like, this is the best job in the world. And some days you have to deal with somebody that you care about, got arrested, or someone that you liked as a wrestler, or someone that you enjoyed as a wrestler did something heinous. And you have to write about that. And those days are terrible. 
but no, this job is never boring. Every day is unique. And you, I never wake up. And trust me, I've had lots of jobs where I woke up and I was trying to figure out ways to get out of going to work that day, even when I was making a, a six-figure salary, just because I didn't want to be there because I was miserable. I never wake up and go, oh, I got to work on this site. Oh, I got to record interview. I, oh, I, I got to interview Eric Fischel. I literally have to tell him. To t- and he's better now. But in the beginning, it's like, I remember there was one time I actually had to change his past his privileges he cut me out of the site on the site because he was supposed to be on vacation and he wouldn't stop. I'm like, you're off. Do not. And I can't, he, he locked What's me out of the on? site. Like, yeah, I did. That's awesome. Yep. That awesome. We've been working on, we've been working since, you know, I brought him into one wrestling. And so I guess we're going on 30 years working on one of these, no yeah. contract, you know, and there's been times Mike's been offered jobs by other people and he comes and asks me what I think about it. And, you know, I've said, Hey, you know, I will never hold you back on anything. And a couple of them were interesting jobs. But, you know, at the end of the day, to his point, he, it, this is the greatest job in the world. You're your own boss. You get to do something you love. You set, I won't say you set your own schedule because the schedule sets you, but it's, it's, you're in your comfort zone. I mean, I'm sitting in my office in my one house today. If we do this in two months, I'll be at my other house. It's like, what more can you ask for? You know, it's great. And the old, the older I've gotten, and, and trust me, had COVID not happened, I'd be traveling so much more, as Dave will tell you. I'm like, oh, there's five shows this week? I'm going. But as I get older, I like, I always say, like, Big Bird's got his nest on Sesame Street, right? He don't want to move. Everybody saw follow that bird when they were kids. He don't want to move. For me to have to leave, I'd have to be paid for the privilege of removing myself from a very comfortable life. I get that. I, you know, I can I can stop everything at a moment's notice and say to him, I'm going off grid like tomorrow. I got I got a family member. that has got some medical stuff. I, I just email him. I'm not going to be around tomorrow. I got to deal with this. He goes, OK, do what you got to do. Like, it doesn't matter. We could be recording in five minutes from now. And I'd be like, dude, can't do it. I'm not there today mentally. I got to deal with this. And he'd be like, all right, we'll figure out another day. Like as a boss, he's the easiest person to deal with. Because he just goes, all right, here's all the rope you need. Don't hang yourself. That's basically his management style. I can but- see John's, John's trying to jump in there. I don't, I don't mind you putting your boss over, but damn, John Alba's got a question here. I can <laughs> see him. He's, oh, no, I thought <laughs> you better put your boss <laughs> over now, John. It's Mike one, you nothing right now, buddy, and you're coming to the plate. No, because I, I think everything you just said, it all boils down to one very important question, and that is, what role does wrestling media play in the general landscape of professional wrestling? We see some organizations, we, AEW was doing it, Ring of Honor doing it, now WWE even started doing it, where they have press conferences and press availabilities. And you see some people asking questions that further kayfabe storylines. And then you see other people asking about the process and business-oriented questions. So I would love to know from both of you who have been in this for so long, what role do reporters or should reporters, I say, play in the wrestling media landscape? Go ahead, Mike. I think the most important part of being a reporter is being honest and being able to hold someone's feet to the fire in a way that's not malicious. Like if AEW has a bad show or WWE has a bad show and you have to write about it, you have to be honest about it. You can't be like, well, I like this person. They had a bad show. So I'm going to kind of give the, give a bunch of reasons as to why it really was a good show when it wasn't like my best example of that is like the, the exploding ring match with Kenny Omega and, 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 and John Moxley. It technologically, it fell apart and it looked silly and it didn't speak well for everybody. And to ignore the fact that there were problems with this and this moment that people were really looking forward to kind of fizzled out and fell flat on its face if you're ignoring that and just talking about, wow, what a great match that was. And John Moxley, what are you going to do next now that you've beaten uh, Kenny Omega or whatever? I get it. Like, I understand you're you're happy to be in, around it. And it can be intoxicating, especially if you're young, to be around something that you care about. But your role is supposed to be, especially if you want to be taken seriously for any sort of long term, having the conversation of what went on behind the scenes to make that go wrong not the storyline that they're playing out that, oh, Kenny Omega just didn't build a good bomb. Like there, and to me, I get why there's in a generation who, and I think, cause I think social media is a big part of it. There's a generation of people and I'm not knocking them because I, maybe I'd be the same way if I came up at, at a younger age in this time period where I feel like for some of them, cause there's good reporters and there's others. 
And for some of the others, I feel like they're more inclined to want to be important because they're connected in some way to wrestling. And to me, I always felt like I should be in the background, in the shadows, and I should be writing about wrestling. What I write and what I report should be what's important, not because I'm Mike Johnson. Because nobody I, nobody should care about Mike Johnson. They should just care about what Mike Johnson writes. And I think as wrestling companies have reached out, and especially with WWE, when they, they as they've tried to build relationships with people, then it becomes, well, can you be as harsh with them if you still want to get the access to the Paul Levesque conference call? And there were times Paul and I have gone back and forth because he didn't like questions that I asked. And I've seen him do it with other reporters, but that's part of the game that he signed up for. No pun intended. It's not about, Hey, here's your flowers every month. And every show is great. A lot of it has to be about the minutia behind the scenes and what the mindset is. And I think, I think everyone's still trying to figure out what the balancing act is. But for me, I always want to ask questions about why did things happen and what's your mindset in terms of your management style and why did certain things happen on a show versus, okay, Samoa Joe, you won your match. So who do you want to defend the title against next? That question is very different from, all right, there's a lot of people in the locker room you haven't had a chance to work with. Who would you petition to work next? Or who would sure. you like to work with? Like, it's the same question, but it's from two very different perspectives. And I think that the perspective, and it might even be the the wrestling companies that are trying to do it now, it's sort of getting, like, there's a little bit more shadow in between the two sides now. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with, oh, I can get access? I'd rather not, honestly, I'd rather not have the access because I, if, if I feel like I need to, if I need to, um, hold back on something to make sure that and hold back on a question because I'd have access. I'd rather not have the access and just listen to the thing through a third party or, or, or listen to it after it's done. I don't need to be there to do my reporting. And I feel like those there, there's a generation who feel like they need to have that access in order to do their reporting. And maybe for them, they do, but the world doesn't need to be that way. And I, I don't think we've got a concise answer yet as to which way it's going to go over the next couple of years. But it all started with Triple H inviting people to the Performance Center when they launched it. Because What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. There were reporters that normally would never get that access who were let in there to interview him or whoever else was there that day, myself included. And that was the beginning of their sort of change in attitude and opening things up. So we're doing post-show press conferences and we're doing media calls and things like that. And then, you know, Tony Khan from his sports background, he does his stuff. But a lot of times his stuff really sits on the needle of it's a real competition. And then someone asks a question and they're asking about the business end and more about the working side of it. And then, and it goes back and forth. It becomes this sort of weird, like almost like Ghidra from Godzilla, like this weird three headed monster that like, yeah, when I, you I look at it, it doesn't one, make sense. One of, the, one of the things that bothers me about <clears throat> what I've seen Tony do and, and, and truth be known in, in, in defense of Tony, I've only seen the clips of the disasters. So maybe there's some great, you know, PR moments there and some great legitimate, you know, news conference type back and forth going on. But from what I've seen, it looks like another promotional opportunity. It's really, in, it's a promo in long form backstage. I think and, it depends on the reporter though. It's, I think yeah. that's on the reporter because yeah, the reporters no, are the ones who have to ask the question and start the conversation. I think that's what Tony wants it to be, right? To, to throw my two cents in. I think, I think, our, our role is to report the news and be fair in doing it. I think our role when we make commentary, which at this point, you know, I, I'm past the 60-year-old border. Mike's the younger buck. I'm the older, you know, I'm the crotchety old man that's been around a while and seen a lot. So I do more uh, commenting and, and I do more uh, lo looking at long term, you know, with, with Tony Khan, for example, he markets to a niche audience, right? And there, there's no reason why you can't. And, and Eric did this. Eric brought the luchadors in and brought in, Ray, you know, Eddie and Dean because, hey, you know what? 
Hulk Hogan is the biggest name around right now. Hall and Nash turned our company around. And thank you for that, by the way, because that was right after I started my newsletter and I had the outsiders <laughs> and that was great stuff to write about. But, but you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it's kind of like in the elections, you know, people on the left, you know, in the far left and the far right, they're going to vote for their candidates. It's the people in the middle that you try to bring onto your side. And to the people that love Hulk Hogan, to the people that love Kevin Nash, if you give them an Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko match, they're not going to say this stuff stinks. But if you give that to the people who might not like Hogan because they're the super hardcore fans, then they're going to say, you know what? I'm going to watch Nitro every week because I might get another one of those matches. So, mm. I mean, I try, the commentary I try to make is from a business standpoint, you know, because it is my background. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like Vince McMahon. Vince made a ton of money. No one can say he, he didn't, you know, he didn't hit the home run and get grab the brass ring. But I, I would argue he left money on the table because had he gone back to booking storylines that attracted the people that had left the product, he would have made even more money. But he was making enough because he had the $470 million a year come in for Ron SmackDown. Tony's at the point in AEW where he's making about, a, what, a million a week, which, you know, obviously better than not making a million a week. But wouldn't you want to make two or three? And he keeps booking the product and focusing it on those hardcore fans that like, you know, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and you know every stipulation match known to man. It doesn't do the long-term storytelling that'll engage people. And, you know, that to me, that also adds miles to your wrestlers. Look at Roman Reigns right now. The dude's fought leukemia twice now, beaten it into remission. He's not working all the time, but when he comes out, you know that's a star. And when he's on a, a PLE, pay-per-view, whatever you want to call it, people are like, Oh, I want to see Roman now. If you give me Roman Reigns on TV every single solitary week, he stops being Roman you Reigns. You know, I, I've, I saw some of that commentary and criticism about Roman race recently um, on some of the sites. And it's like, wait a minute. This dude has been busting his ass mm -hmm. for the last six years. They've been pushing Roman. And people don't realize when, when Vince McMahon said to himself, okay, I'm going to make this guy a star. I don't care what the audience says or does. Remember that when they were, when mm -hmm. Vince was trying to shove him down everybody's throat and they were gagging and Vince said, screw it. I'm doing it anyway and continue to do it. For the last six years, this guy has, people do not understand. Even I don't understand. I've seen it. I've participated to a degree in it but not to the degree of someone like a Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns or John Cena or Steve Austin or, or whoever is, whoever's at the top, they're working you like you can't imagine being worked. And the fact that now he's finally reached that level Roman has mm -hmm. where he is the biggest name in the Man. world in the industry. And now people are bitching because they don't see him wrestle a 20 minute match every week. If you saw him wrestle a 20 minute match every week, you wouldn't want to see him anymore. <laughs> Think back to the attitude era, the rock, Steve Austin. Now I love both of those guys. I, I mean, I made a lot of money off of both of those guys just by covering them. And I respect both of them. Look at Steve Austin. Owen Hart had dropped him on his head. You know, one of the safest wrestlers who ever lived Owen Hart had a bad night, Steve. Steve, you know what Steve could do in WCW when he worked for you in the Hollywood Blondes. Well, he was punch, kick, punch, kick, stunner. Same match every single time. And the people, you know, they had their, what, 200 straight sellout streak. The Rock, when he came up, he was all charisma. The thing I try to tell these hardcore fans that want to see, you know, like, I think I always say they have a checklist, you know, like, it's kind of like, you know, the, the, you know, the, the Russian gymnast, you know, okay, did that, did that, did that, did that, did that. Why would I want to take a hundred bumps in every match when I could take five that matter? My body likes me better. The people are waiting for 10 or 15 minutes to see the stunner or to see the rock bottom or the people's out. I mean, it, it, and I get that some people want to perform and they want to show what they have and all that. But man, I've always been a work smart, not hard kind of guy. And to me, I just don't think a lot of those fans understand that. And yeah, they love it, but you're going to run through your talent pretty quick both because you put a dream match on every week and there stops being dream matches and guys get hurt. Look at the way just chair shots to the head and bleeding and broken bones and, you know, work smart, not hard. That's me. But what do I know? <laughs> See, yeah, and, I mean, and there's, there's also, I mean, there's two ways to kill a talent. One is to not to expose them enough and the other is to overexpose them. And, mm -hmm. you know, just because you have a hot property, you know, let's use MJF for example, MJF is arguably one of the most interesting characters in, in AEW right now, at least in my opinion. Um, 
you got to be careful with that guy because he's he's your star right now. I, I in my opinion, people may have different ones, and and I, that's cool. But for me, if if my job now because I've got MJF, I'm Tony Khan. I'm going to protect that star, and protecting that star to a degree means managing just how much people see. There's a saying, "Less is more." That's so true when you get to the top of the the mountain because you can get overexposed so quickly and easily and the, no nobody intends to do it it's not malicious it's just lack of experience look at moxley when he was the champion he's def- not only is he defending the title every week on television he's given everybody a 5149 match including people that let's face it most of us never even heard of it's like hey you know joe from the bowling alley just came in and almost beat the champ it's like what are you doing? The champ's supposed to be special. I should, a guy like me should not be able to go fight John Moxley and almost win. You know, it's just, it blows my mind. The, the thought process, it really does. <laughs> See, Dave, I know Eric likes you because you called it the attitude error and he didn't correct you to the nitro error. It's actually the nitro error. I also put, I put over the nitro. <laughs> let me tell you when, when, because back in the day, you know, we had VCRs. I, I know you're young. You know, you got your digital stuff. I had VCRs. I... Yeah, back then, it was like, okay, Nitro started at 8. I'll watch the first hour. And then I'll, I'll go to Nitro. And I had like 3D VCRs. So I record an hour of each so I could at least get the you know 15 minutes of commercials out. So, oh, man, you're preaching to the choir. That that was – they were the glory days. That was Valhalla back then. <laughs> so then, Eric, let's turn the question that I posed to Mike and Dave on you. What do you believe from that other perspective the role of wrestling media should be in the grand scheme of pro wrestling? Oh, I knew that question was coming because you actually texted it to me a few seconds ago. <laughs> so I've been trying to think about how I want to answer that. And, you know, I think my view has changed a lot over the last couple of years. And I, and I think part of that has to do with not being involved in the wrestling business so I can be more objective. It was hard for me to be objective about news coverage about the business I was in when I was active in it because so much of it, and not from you guys, by the way, not from PW Insider, um, but there was so much other damaging narrative. And, and sometimes it was just stuff that sh- you know shook up the locker room, people's feelings got hurt, or people got angry or people started distrusting each other because nobody knew where that, you know, source of information came from. And it's just, it's just toxic. And I was very adamant against the peripheral news media for a long time. And, and guys like Dave Meltzer made it easy for me because of just being what he is in the way he conducts his business. But over the last several years, last five or 10 years, I've kind of changed my view on it. And part of it is too, because the business has changed. The industry has changed. It is a legitimate industry now. It's no longer that wrestling product that this small kind of fraternity of wrestling fans around the country are into. And it's its own little niche property. And it's, yeah, it's wrestling, you know. It's, you know, the largest company in this industry is a publicly held company that's worth over $5 billion right now that has the property in 120 some odd different countries around the world. Now it's important now in ways that I guess, in my opinion, it wasn't as much. It is a legitimate business now and deserves to be covered legitimately. I I guess my issue now would be if I was in the business today, I would ask myself if I'm going to do a press conference, am I going to treat it seriously? Meaning, am I only going to answer questions that I can answer favorably and dismiss the ones that are a little bit uncomfortable? Or am I going to let people in? Because I think it's it, it's insincere, it's dishonest to conduct a press conference with news media that you control directly or indirectly, and you're not treating a news conference like a news conference should be. And allowing questions that are uncomfortable and answering those questions as best you can. Now I've been, I've been on both sides of this. I've been on both sides of it. And, and I see both sides of it. There are times when Paul Levesque or Tony Khan, I think Tony's probably a better example most recently because of legal issues and legal issues are a real part of business and it's treacherous because lawyers are treacherous and you can say something 
unintentionally that can cost you money down the road if you're not careful. Um, at, at worst, at, at, the, at, at best, you can say things that just make you sound stupid. <laughs> but but I, I think if I was promoting, if I was running a wrestling business right now, and if I had to have a policy, it would be probably to, to treat the press legitimately. I would weed out the illegitimate members of the press. They wouldn't be able to get, they wouldn't be able to catch a disease around me. They wouldn't be able to get close enough. But legitimate reporters that conduct their business like Mike and Dave do, that source, that double check, that verify, that have a legitimate process, I would treat them legitimately. And I would probably not include a lot of the others that don't. And I would just deal with it because people are going to find out anyway. You're not going to be able to hide shit. So all this stuff all comes out. It's whether it comes out early and you, you're in control of it, you know, mm-hmm. tell it first. <laughs> you know, Eric, if I were you back in that day, because we're not that far apart in age, I can't say I wouldn't say exactly what you just said, because in 1995, six or seven, you know, it was the Wild West. It really was. It was, you know, checks and balances. I mean, I just talked about how I got into this. And and I, I mean, if you read a story about Eric Bischoff or WCW while you're running that, you know, is not true. You know, it's not true because you know the truth. I could see why that would really piss you off because it would piss me. And Mike Johnson will tell you, I, I can hold it. I can hold a grudge. I definitely can hold it. Sometimes I think she's holding grudges against me. Um, no, I, and, and the, you know, the one thing that for me that I always think about when I'm reporting on a story is at the end of the day, every single person that works in wrestling and uh, any job, no one's going into the ring or going into the production truck looking to have a bad day and looking to have a bad job. So sometimes things don't work out and everybody's human and everybody makes mistakes. So not everything has to be the end of the world. And this is, this happens. So this person's terrible. And I, I know obviously we're talking about criminal elements. It's a completely different story, but like not everybody needs to be a hero or a villain in a story. And I feel like sometimes in the rat race to chase and break stories, there is a, a at times a, a forgetfulness of these are all human beings just trying to a live their dream or b make their money and see more most importantly three uh support their families and sometimes that gets lost in the translation with some outlets and that always drives me nuts because i go to a, especially before covid i would go to a lot of shows and I would be dealing with a lot of wrestlers and I would be in locker rooms and I would have conversations with people. And you, if you want to have those one-on-one conversations, you have to know how to deal with people and be fair with them. Even if they're not always going to like what you report, because every, every reporter is going to deal with somebody that they like or somebody that they respect taking issue with something that, that they report. But at the end of the day, you have to kind of hold, hold to the fact that you believe you are reporting the truth as best you can uncover it. Or you're giving an opinion that you believe is correct based on your thought process, which is different from reporting. And we try to separate the two on PW Insider as much as we can. Um, but I feel like a lot of times there are people who are just like, what can we do to make the most flamboyant headline? And it blows up and it becomes a big thing on Twitter. And I'll look at it. And I'm like, why is this a story? Why is this a big thing? It just happens to be that moment. And But I, I feel like my job is to try and maybe, maybe I don't do a hundred percent perfect job at this because no one's a hundred percent perfect at everything. I always try to take the person into account that is living that life. And the fact that they just happen to be involved in pro wrestling, because when I worked in talent management and I had to deal with clients who were getting written about in New York gossip magazines or newspapers, I knew what the human effect was when something bad was written about them, whether it was true or not. So I always keep that in the back of my head of these are these are human beings. And I have to remember that because if if it was going the other way, I'd want someone to be fair to my family. So I always try to have a fairness in what I report. Do I have 100 percent? Uh, perfect rate on that. Who knows? I don't know. There's 20 something years of writing now. I, and somebody will say, well, what about that story? I don't know, but I do strive to try and do that. Well, guys, I know John has to jump. He's got another show to do. And I just want to say, Dave and Mike, I'm so happy to have you guys on. I've, I've 
for a long time, I've respected what you do, but even more so now having a chance to have this conversation with you, both you guys. Now, Dave, we're, we're recording this on a Monday. The show's going to drop on a Thursday, but I am going to be in Las Vegas with a little bit of time on my hands Wednesday afternoon and evening. So if you're not doing anything, hit me with a text. Let's go grab a burger somewhere. If I was there, I absolutely would, but I'm back East for the holidays. I won't be back okay. in Vegas till next month, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Go to Gordon Ramsay's burger. That's a, that's a nice burger. Ooh, that's I'll check nice it out. Yeah, thank you. Nice. Thank you. And by the way, pwinsider.com. If, if you haven't checked it out, check it out now of all of the news sites out there. And there are some other good ones, friends with a lot of guys over at wrestling Inc. And I mentioned Jason Powell um, and, and many, many others. Um, but PW insider has been doing it for a long time. Very credible. I love their process. And I think there's a lot of people that are in your business today that could watch this interview and learn from both of you. So thank you guys very, very much. Thanks. Thank you gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate both of your contributions to the pro wrestling media space and uh, best of luck as you guys venture out into the holiday season and wrap up a crazy, uh, what was undoubtedly the most notable newsworthy year in, in modern wrestling history. Yeah. Just We're un- not done yet. Don't jinx us. I know. No, <laughs> still got 19 days to go. But uh, <laughs> if you enjoyed this conversation, guys, make sure you check out Strictly Business every single week on the 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff feed, 83weeks.com, and subscribe on YouTube as well to the 83 Weeks YouTube channel. You'll get the video version there. You get the audio version every single Thursday. For Eric Bischoff, Mike Johnson, and Dave Shear, I'm John Alba. We thank you, and we'll see you next time right here on Strictly Business. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can <laughs> you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.